everyone, and welcome to our very first episode. A quick note, we are adults with adult mouths, and so some language may not be great for not-adults to hear, if you catch my drift. Also, this episode is all about the tattoo industry, so some terms and issues we discuss may be unfamiliar to you, so we included a couple helpful links in the show notes, and also a couple articles on tattooing darker skin, because that's a problem that shouldn't be a problem. You'll hear us mention someone called Love Is. Just a heads up, Love Is is a black illustrator currently based in LA, but went to UArts in Philly. I think that covers everything, so let's start the show. This is Adesola. And I am Carolyn. And this is Creatives on Deck, an interview-style podcast where we talk to creatives who often find themselves working in two worlds, in their artistic endeavors that make them thrive, and the service jobs that not only fund their livelihoods, but teach them about people. Today, our guest is Cassie O'Neill. Cassie, what's up? Hey. Cassie (laughs) has a BFA in fine art and has been tattooing full-time in Philly since completing her apprenticeship in 2014. Cassie has always pursued many creative outlets in the arts from drawing and painting to singing and embroidery. She sings in the local Philly band Blue Velvet and plays video games in her spare time. Yep, that sums it up. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I do other stuff, but it just like, tattooing takes over your entire life. So you stop pursuing those things and then you just eat like a video game up in like one week. You know, you just like, you're like, oh man, I forgot how tight this is. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like coming from more of the background where I just drew a lot, I was more obsessed with like the drawing aspect, getting tattooed when I turned 18 and having to really like getting tattooed made it I feel like a little bit different like I wasn't in this like pursuit of being a tattooer exactly but I guess that winds up having to a lot of tattooers where they're like this is all I really want to do like after all is said and done you know Mm -hmm. when I was like really young my sister Erin came home she's like 10 years older than I am so she was 16 when she got her first tattoo and I was six and I was like hold up you're telling me that this is on you forever I was like I was so excited about that I was like that's really cool and I guess my parents just always knew that was going to happen to me but I really (laughs) they just knew I was going to become a tattooed freak, you know, (laughs) but, and I just wound up loving tattooing so much, even as much as like getting tattooed, you know, and it's weird because my artistic style is completely different because of tattooing than it was when I was younger too. It was super dark. I did lots of like mythology and symbolism and really gory stuff and anthropomorphic, you know, trippy things. I loved patterning. Like a lot of it was stuff I had taken from like my dreams I had. And now it's like rainbow everything. I <laughs> want, I like, I want to put all like, those like bananas that you just painted on the wall in your yeah, studio. And yeah, you're talking about <laughs> black and gory. I'm like, yeah, that's very different. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. It just like, as soon as I started tattooing and I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to put like red 
over here. Like, why not? Right. And then I was like, I could do blue even, you know, and it just kept going. And now it's like, I can't stop. Like, I really love doing like super brightly colored stuff. It makes me happy to look at it. That's like partly the reason I was really drawn to your work because I saw your work on Love Is Is Chest their chess piece. And it's so rare for dark skinned people to find tattoo artists that can do good work on our skin and not just like rip it to shreds. Her color palettes are so inspiring to me, you know? And I'm like, I'm not not gonna do color on the queen of color. Like, you know what I mean? Like she just owns color. So they just own color. I'm sorry, I saw that on their Instagram just like a couple days ago, changed pronouns. So I'm, I'm keep correcting myself so I don't get it wrong. But, you know, it was really fun. We had a great time. I was really glad that they trusted me with that because it's like so personal getting tattooed by people and then adding the fact that you don't have that representation of your skin tone in a lot of people's portfolios that, you know, you got to trust they know what they're doing and that if they're not the right person, that they tell you that because I think, unfortunately, in like this world in general, people just don't want to admit that maybe they're not good at something, you know? Yeah. They don't like want to be seen as like bad at it or like, here are my shortcomings. Like people are just like overcompensating, I think a lot. So, you know, I've had people be like, hey, I want to get a Japanese bodysuit from you. And I'm like, listen, I <laughs> I would love, I <laughs> yeah, like I would love to do that, but I am not the one. Yeah. Like maybe if it was a friend that was like, let's try it out, you know, but I was like, let me just not insult like mad people who were, should be doing this are good at it already. And who people I haven't learned from who I'd love to learn from, but you know, so I was like, I can recommend somebody to you (laughs) (laughs) I guess my question then will be like when you started tattooing were there a lot of black customers and people with darker skin who were coming in is that how you got used to tattooing on those kinds of skins or because I've heard a lot of excuses you know from oh you know it's not the best to tattoo on or like some other bullshit excuse um which is the guy who first started tattooing me when I came here he's total white dude and it was an art machine and I walked in, the first person I showed, they were like, oh yeah, your fucking tattoos are stupid, man. I don't know. Like, we're insulting my tattoos. Then told me that they, and then told me that he doesn't tattoo dark skin. <laughs> After all that. And then. Okay, but my right- tattoos are bad. <laughs> yeah. And then my, the, my friend Rasp, I was like, I, like, I talked to him. I was like, do you, t-? he's like, what the fuck's that motherfucker talking about? Like, that's a whole, fuck him. It was like. And he does amazing, he does amazing work. And he told me that the shop he started at was a street shop where people were just coming off the street, doesn't matter who the fuck it was. And he had to tattoo that person, you know? And that's how he got used to to tattooing different colors and all that kind of shit. So I guess, I don't know if that's the same thing for you or... Yeah, it it was similar for sure. When I first started apprenticing, my mentor, George, is black. Mm. And like his shop is a completely different feel from every traditional shop that I had been in in that point. George's shop is called the G-Spot. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and when and he was like, no other shop has this name except like one shop in like Texas. And he was so pissed that this guy also's name was George. <laughs> and almost all of George's clients were dark skinned. And I noticed that George really didn't apply anything differently. You know, he was applying the same principles for every single person that came through that door. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't even using like a different colored stencil. You know, some people are like, use the red stencil. No, he was just using the purple stencil. And his family would hang around the shop. You know, they let me tattoo them and they were like roasting me because, you know, I hadn't tattooed anybody and they were like pretty hard to see, you know, on the darker skin. And I was like, you know, once you get started, it is kind of hard. But at the same time, it was just hard for me in general. So I feel like seeing what was possible from there, like made me think, well, you know, everybody who's darker skinned, like goes to George's shop because they know they can get that quality of tattoo from him and not feel that someone's going to be like, your tattoos are shitty. Like who, Mm -hmm. even if you thought that, you should just keep it to yourself. You know, it's, it's just like, that's just manners, man. Like, come on. Just be like, it looks great. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that guy who said that to me was, was like a well-known asshole. I found out later and I was like, okay, this makes sense. Some of those dudes are just, they're like jaded, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that Georgia's shop took a lot of clientele that they didn't even realize they were missing. You know what I mean? Because they wanted to push those types of people away. Whether they would admit that to themselves, who would want to admit that to themselves? Honestly, because it's like kind of a bad thought, you know? But even before that, I would have probably had the same thought process where it's like, well, you know, we probably shouldn't do yellow or something. We shouldn't do a white highlight because it's just going to disappear. Well, then I'm like, it's just going to disappear on my skin too. I Mm. literally, like I have yellow that is just disappearing and I hide from the sun. You know, I use my sunscreen, (laughs) I lotion up. I exfoliate, you know, and it's still, it's just the nature of our skin, the nature of the pigment, you know, at the time it might be looking really good, but then, you know, there are some inks that like in the past people have found that have disappeared really fast. And that's just from like tattooing their friends and stuff. So I feel like it was a lot of just questioning, I guess, on my part and seeing what George was capable of doing really on any skin tone that made me question that. And, you know, moving forward, I worked at kind of like a higher end street shop in Lancaster. And I had to tattoo, you know, every person that came through that door too. But I mean, this is just Lancaster, but it's just all like white people that go to Franklin and Marshall. You know, it just... It just was. And I went to Pennsylvania College of Art and Design, PCAD, which is like up the street. And you can just tell because it's just like the art freaks and then like the super normie people. Those were like the people who would come in. And I felt like I didn't have an opportunity to show what I had learned on darker skin tones. So I don't know. I feel like it was a combination of questioning those things. And having practice at the same time, something just clicked. 
I had done some cover-ups on darker skin, and each one of those I just thought was like looking better and better with color. I had a guy, we did a sleeve that was kind of like a lot of his ideas. It was like military stuff. And, you know, I tried to bring it all together for him. And I had put like a big pink peony on his elbow. And he was like, I don't know about the pink. Like, is it going to heal good? I was like, dude, it's going to heal good. And I was like, the only key to this is with everybody's elbow. It gets ashy. So you have to exfoliate. And he came back after it had healed and it was so pink, you know? And even I was like, damn, that elbow held together really well. And he was like, I've been exfoliating. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, yes. <laughs> and it honestly, like the the brighter the tone, the better it looks. And the darker the skin that you're tattooing on, it's contrasted. It will contrast against that tone. So it's like, you know, this if you don't exfoliate, that layer of skin is going to damper and darker the tattoo. Just like when your hair grows over your arm, you know, makes your tattoos look blurrier and older. That's also why I shave like my entire body now. <laughs> Because I want to be slick. <laughs> you know, I feel lucky. I just have a lot of really trusting clients. It's really, you got to have somebody that trusts you enough for you to be like, hey, like, let me try red, you know? Like, I know that there aren't a lot of books about this shit, but seriously, this is the age of Instagram where you could just Google tattoos it, on dark skin tones. There's so many great share pages. It's like an ex it's just an excuse to be lazy at this point whenever I hear someone, like... If you're, yeah, if you're an experienced tattooer, that shit is just sad. It's like shameful because I'm like, that just shows to me that you have been ignoring those people in, in your emails, in your life, you know, mm -hmm. who want to get tattooed by you and respect your work. And you're just like, it just doesn't look good on black <laughs> people's skin. I'm like, no, how about your tattoos just don't look good then? Like, damn, dude, like, you're so good. You charge $250 an hour. I'm like, come on. Just where's like, where's that hourly rate coming from if you don't yeah. even have the experience? Outside of tattooing, what other kind of service jobs have you had? I worked retail pretty much my entire life. My first job was when I was 14. I got a job at a retirement home and mm -hmm. I was serving the really, really old people food. <laughs> they were, and I love old people. So I was like, this is heartbreaking for me because they were like so old. I was like, Oh, <laughs> and I was also like cripplingly shy too. So it was like real, it was really not a good job for me. I have no, I was like forced it. My parents were like, we're going to get you a job. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, my sister Corey's like, she can come work with me at the retirement. And my sister Corey's like super extroverted, very atypical. People would like say things to me and I would just, you know, in my head, a rational response would come out, but something stupid would always come out of my mouth. <laughs> so I would just be like, I can't say anything to these people. You know, I would just had no confidence at all. So I kind of quit that job really fast. <laughs> and I was like always coming up with excuses as to why I could not go into that job. <laughs> so... I wound up working at, do you know, do you guys know Plato's Closet? Yes. yes. 
I worked at Plato's Closet from like 16 to like 18 or something, which was a great job, I think, for me because it was basically like thrift store music store you know like we got to play like whatever music we wanted we got to look however we wanted to look and I got to buy clothes all the time from people and like I would get first pick somebody would come in with all these new clothes from forever 21 didn't fit them and I'd be like taking that (laughs) be like yeah we'll we'll pay we'll pay you for that yeah like I bought it from them and then I bought it straight from the store like And after I worked there, believe it or not, I actually worked at Apple for like two, three years. I was like basically just a salesperson. I was like on the front floor. So you dealt with a lot of different people then. I did. I did. And I met a lot of like really creative people when I worked at Apple. But Apple is like insane because working there, they like inundate you like Steve Jobs was still alive at this time and you got to go through like six interviews for this job I've been to one and it was it was very strange (laughs) because I'm like and you're just gonna pay me like 10 50 an hour like which at the time for me sounded amazing because I was 18 I was like whoa 10 50 an hour and they give you stock and it seems like it would be like a permanent big boy job but once you get in there it's kind of just like every other retail job except they try to brainwash you into being like you love apple (laughs) and like it was crazy and as far as retail jobs it's like it's not the worst job but having like this fake sense of family for a job that basically is using that to get you to do a bunch of free shit for them Mm -hmm. yeah they had us like training new hires and doing all that stuff I was like oh cool this is fun and then I was like wait shouldn't I be getting a raise or something for this you know it just you're helping the family grow right and then you know (laughs) they expand their store and didn't hire any of the people in their own store for that higher management they didn't do that so then half the people that worked at Apple actually split and went to the Microsoft store. I was like, drama, (laughs) drama. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like that was like the first job I had though, where they were like, if you don't know something, they actually encourage you to ask. Cause they're like, dude, you're going to have people come in here and ask you about stupid app shit that you don't know about. And you can just be like, look, dude, take your pissing contest somewhere else. I don't know. And At the time, I kind of felt like, well, I had to know the answer to everything and I had to be super like tech savvy. And I'm not. And even from working there for years, I'm still not. And I am proud of that. (laughs) They couldn't, they couldn't get me. And they used to be, like, way more accommodating of people. They don't yeah. replace your phone screen once for free anymore. They're like, nah, you're oh, going to have really? to buy the whole... Uh, yeah, I have to do the Gorilla Glass mm-hmm. now. And I'm one of those people that when my phone doesn't work, I get mad. And I'm like, yeah. I'll try again. <laughs> yes. I got another one I'm getting ready to put on there because it's getting hard to see. Wow. <laughs> when did you get into tattooing and being an apprentice with uh, all of these other jobs like did anything cross over timeline wise the only job that crossed over was right as I graduated college I was working at BB do you guys remember BB yeah 
Yes, I was obsessed with BB. Yes, and it was kind of a, it was like kind of a fun job because I had to get dressed up for work, and you could really, you could get really cute there, you know, and you could get almost scandalous, and it was like, mm. yeah, looking good. <laughs> um, we had a lot of like higher end clients that were just really rude. They were just terrible people. And, you know, they thought because they had a ton of money that they could just like look at you and literally ask you if you were stupid. In which case, I don't like, I would just not say anything. I would just turn around and walk away. And my manager would be like, I'll take care of this. <laughs> You know, she was like, I'm actually really proud that you like didn't rise to that. But I was like, if I don't walk away, I'm just going to say something real nasty. So I was like, I don't have anything nice to say. So I'm just going to walk away. (laughs) Honestly, even though I liked that job, I could not wait to quit it. So as soon as I was like, yeah, I have my apprenticeship. I was like, two weeks are in. I'm out. And they kind of knew that that was my goal because I had been working there for like a year. So they knew I was graduating college and I had been like hiding my tattoos from there because you could only have like two inches of a tattoo even poking out. So like that specific of a rule, like two inches of it. Yep, I had to wear like black, super opaque tights because like I had tattoos on my legs. I had my septum pierced at the time. I had to like flip that up. And I actually had to take the fronts out of my lip studs, even though no one even knows I have them half the time but you know they were like oh can't have like lip piercings I was like you know I'm making seven dollars an hour plus commission and you're telling me how I should dress and how I should live my life and you don't pay me enough yeah (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if there's any enough money that should dictate what you should look like it just seems so wrong to me because I'm just like well what the fuck do you care what I look like are you coming into this store to buy me or this dress you know because like I have no I'm just here (laughs) that's the only job that wound up overlapping just a little bit but I moved back home to my parents house and at the time my only bills were my phone bill my credit card and my car like I had to take care of my car and my dad knew how broke I was and he would give me twenty (laughs) dollars I was like, I have an allowance. He would give me $20 every day. And I would, Uh it was so wholesome. And, you know, I would go to Wendy's and get like the dollar meal. I'd get like the dollar sandwich and the dollar salad. And after work, there was a bar that you could go to to get like literally $3 beers. And I would like budget this so that I had (laughs) money left over to pay my, like my bills. Because my dad would be like, how are you like at the bar right now? Like you don't even really have a job. I was like, I was like, little do you know, dad, I'm a killer money manager. Like (laughs) you did something right by putting me to work at 14 because you realize like money doesn't go very far. So you get you have to budget it, you know, but I was like, I don't need a man. I got my dad. Give me $20 every day. He made me breakfast every day. Like he would, he would like cook an egg for me every morning. He was, I know. He's a sweetheart. <laughs> I was really grateful because 
They were so happy when I moved back home that they let me take over their living room with all my art shit. And I mean, I was drawing on their walls, like, you know, like they would have never let me do that when I was a kid. But they kind of just were like, they knew I was really depressed about moving back home because I had been living and in like with roommates in college. And I felt like I was ailing because I wasn't immediately moving into that step of being able to be independent oh that's such a freaking thing that's like i feel like it's just in our heads especially if you go to art school i feel like if you're not immediately like creating especially as you're like you're going out you're not like a fucking success and it's like oh you feel like well what's the point kind of shit it's really it's really demoralizing a little bit it is and it kind of that voice of like every teacher who was a dick to you comes back yeah. and you're just like oh, it just it makes you mad because you know that you're not a failure and you know that you aren't going to fail if you just keep persisting yeah. but you know what they think and for some reason it just pisses me off <laughs> you know it, it really oh. did when I was younger now I'm just like kiss my ass <laughs> <laughs> For a lot of people, it's a point that is very scary to try and get all of your shit together right after you graduate, especially with all the loans that everyone has to deal with, like seeing what you have to pay out along with car, phone, that type of adulthood comes before any real maturity is able to happen. Yeah. I mean, my friend... Greg, who is like an incredibly talented photographer, took out school loans and, you know, they're so predatory. And he was literally working on a military base, making so much money there because they actually gave him raises. You know, it was kind of a government job, even though he was working in their hotel. He was basically like one of the hotel management, but that he couldn't find a job that he could afford to leave that job for because of his school loans. So he literally just quit that job this year. And I was like, good for you. Like, fuck that job. How many years was he working there? He worked there probably 10 years. Uh, He's got like retirement coming from that job, like dead ass because he worked there for so long. And it was so stifling to him because he wasn't like he, you know, was able to get a few things published in like small zines and editorials, but he wasn't able to practice art. You know, he wasn't able to like set up studio shoots with his friends anymore because everyone started moving away. Everyone had to move back into their homes or get their home job. And he's stuck working this hotel job to pay his loans that he can't even afford to leave it for an entry level position, even if it was a photography position, you know, and he's still paying them off. I have friends who are just like, I'm never paying them off. Kiss my ass. I don't own anything. I'm never going to own anything. And I admire that courage, but I'm too afraid. I'm scared of the IRS. <laughs> I'm like, don't take away my like $2,000 in cash that I have, man. That's what I was going to use to pay you back with. Like, <laughs> goddamn. <laughs> I know for both of us, like, we're not super close, but you're also just a very, like, caring person in general Um, when it comes to anything you're doing. Do you feel like you picked up any of these these wonderful traits of yours from uh, these jobs that you've worked at? 
I think, you know, when I was younger, I was super naive about how people treated other people. I was always raised with the golden rule. You treat others how you want to be treated. Mm. And I feel like when I was younger, I just assumed that's how everybody was. I really would take people at face value. And then like later people would be like, you know, that person was like literally mocking you that entire time. And I was like, I thought they were like, nice. <laughs> like I was like, yeah. damn, I, I didn't realize they were being sarcastic. <sighs> yeah. Um, and that makes you a little sharper, but it also makes you like not want to be that person, you know? When I was at BB, there was a really nasty lady. Like I said, we didn't have the skirt in her size. So I said, hey, give me one moment. I'm going to call another store to see if they have it and we'll mail it to you for free. And she was like, are you stupid? I was like, oh, I was like, bitch, are you stupid? I'm going to help you out. Like, um, You're you like, I'm yourself. trying to help you going out of my way and you just re-insulted me. Okay. No like, one <laughs> That's why I walked away, because I was just like, excuse, excuse me. Um, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to make other people feel how I felt in those moments. And leaving Georgia's shop was really an eye-opener, too, because everyone who worked there was like, what's up, fam, every day. You know, everybody was like, super cool, super chill. Everybody there was nice. They cared about each other. And sure, like you have, you know, maybe some drama with your coworkers, but I was never like treated disrespectfully. It really wasn't until I started going out more into other tattoo shops that I was just like, this is a whole other part of this industry that I, I learned like that's not the type of tattooer that I want to be. And I think it's really important to note that so much tattoo history was lost because of, because you could say the conservative Christian viewpoint where they destroy all these practices and make them illegal. There could have been a whole different structure of apprenticing and how things were then versus when it became illegal and people were like, get them in prison. People who were just raised in harsher environments. So they like repeated that cycle. People are just supposed to bow down to you because like you draw, like you haven't done shit for me. I haven't seen you do shit for your community or the tattoo community. It's not like that anymore, y'all. <laughs> it just, sorry, like I'm soft. I don't know what to say, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just like, don't set me on fire. I would not put up with that. I would literally just fucking leave. Like, that's insane to me. Like, <laughs> well, it sounds like um, rushing at a fraternity or something where it's like that level oh, of yeah. like punishment to be to join the club. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not worth it. <laughs> not worth it because in the end, you find yourself being like, I don't even know these people. And, and then you're like, I don't want to know them. And you have to be there because, you know, it's not as easy when you're starting out to leave shops. 
you know, you jump from shop to shop, you've got to rebuild that clientele and that trust with people over again, you know, and even if you might learn new things going to new shops, you at the same time, like risk forgetting some things that you probably learned, you know, it's kind of known in the tattoo industry. If you tell your boss you're leaving in a month, nine times out of 10, they'll just tell you to get the fuck out right then and there. So you can't just be as honest sometimes as you'd want to be. You almost have to be sneaky. And it's like, well, why am I going to sit here and show this person respect? And I'm giving them like 40%, 50% of my paycheck. When if I told them I was like, you know, going to leave in two weeks, they would just kick me out that day. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm like, what? I'm like, well, you don't have any respect for me. So, you know, there's like a lot of maybe not hypocrisy. I mean, that's not the right word I'm looking for. But it's backhanded. Yeah. Yeah. Like a false sense of community, like demanding this community aspect that you're not reciprocating. Yeah. And, you know, that really made me feel like I don't want to treat other people in the industry this way. People have said I have a phone voice. You know, you've got to do that sometimes to be able to put your personal shit aside. And at one point, you know, I was really good at that because the work environment that I was in was like super terrible. And I was incredibly anxious all the time. I was walking on eggshells around everybody there. Couldn't do anything right, you know, mm -hmm. but I couldn't wait to get out of there. I was like working my ass off. Like I was just painting like till midnight. And then like all weekend I was like just getting ragingly drunk because I was just like, I can't think Hoping. about this. Yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was really trying to shut my brain off. I really was like by any means possible. And when I left there, you know, I wouldn't, I try not to get too much into it with clients because you just don't know what they think and who cares what they think, you know, kind of mind your own business. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, I wasn't going to lie at the same time. So, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I was unhappy, you know, and this was my experience. It's not everybody's experience, but that's what happened to me. And I'm not going to sit here and lie about it. And they would be like, dude, I can tell that place is fucking weird. You know, mm. like they just, they pick it up and, you know, you watch the way that some talk to their clients in like a condescending way. You know, your client doesn't know they're looking at you for guidance and you're like mocking them. Like the recent TikToks that have come out from some like comedians who were like the condescending tattooer that's like, oh yeah, you want to get, you want to get it like this. Mm -mm. It's got to be this big and it's got to be on your arm. No, not on your wrist, you know? Yes. And it's so, that is like a real stereotype, you know, they really oh, it like, is. it is. And oh, I don't want to be that person, you know, it's crazy to me because tattooers love to be like, I'm always learning. Mm -hmm. Well, then prove it. Like, <laughs> it's like the humble brag. Yeah, I gotta walk that walk. Don't like, don't fucking talk that shit anymore. They're always like, I'm so humbled by this experience that really boosted my ego. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just be like, yo, my ego is it's soaring right now. I want to just own it then. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be, sometimes it's not a, hum a humbling experience. It's like doing something fucking stupid, getting dragged for it. Even if it's, uh, even if it's your friend being like, yeah, like you actually said that and it was like really messed up and it made me feel really shitty. Like, damn, it takes that. That's a humbling experience. 
but once the veil has been lifted, you can't unsee it. And you have two choices. You can be complicit. I'm just going to go with the flow, which unfortunately a lot of people choose to do. Or you can be like, I don't want to be associated with this anymore. You can move on. You can go somewhere else. That's a completely different community that has nothing to do with anything like that in tattooing. And I really feel like the majority of places aren't like that anymore. People don't want to work for people like that. They don't want to work in that environment. They want to feel respected. Do you feel like you were lucky in a way that you knew there was another type of community that could exist in a shop and a lot of other people never got that experience so that's why they stayed in and dealt with a lot of awful things? Yeah, I feel like I was super lucky and I was like super lucky for the circumstance that took me out of that situation too. But if it wasn't for luck, it would have taken me a lot longer to get out of that situation. And I just don't even know what would have happened if I had been in that situation for even a year longer, you know, a friend of mine that I hadn't seen, like, since I had started working in that spot and she came by and I was like, Oh God, I missed you so much. And she was like, um, what happened to you? You know, she could just tell I was just like fucked up, you know, it was probably all sallow and like dirty. Cause I like stopped showering for like long periods of time. Just didn't want to get out of bed. I was like, maybe tattooing isn't for me. I was like, if this is what this job has to offer me, if this was the community that I thought it was, it made me not want to tattoo, you know? Mm -hmm. But I feel like getting out and experiencing like new things gave me the hope. And then the luck of the draw, somebody reached out to me and saw a potential in me that I don't even think I really saw at the time yet. If I didn't move to that shop, I wouldn't be in this city doing what I'm doing right now. I wouldn't have found that confidence. They were some of the worst days of my life. And now I can look back on them and just be like, I'm a cockroach, man. You cannot kill me. Yes. <laughs> and and you can't get rid of me either. Good luck. Good luck trying. <laughs> I'll come back with ten of my friends. <laughs> can't get you down, bitch. Don't leave your don't leave your food out because I'm coming for your bread too. <laughs> now with a year under our belt doing corona times what has that change really like meant to you felt to you you know as soon as the pandemic hit i was like i have been doing nothing but saving like i was saving real hard and i was crunching the numbers and i was like three months i can go three months without doing anything before i have nothing and that's if I don't get sick. That's Mm -hmm. if my car doesn't break down. I was like, this is me working my ass off. This is everybody. And almost half of my friends were immediately laid off, if not all of them. And the government wasn't doing shit. And we knew, we knew they weren't going to do shit either because they had time to do something even before Trump was in office. Even before Trump was in office, they could have set up things to help people in the community is way better and especially in Philadelphia and the more I read about it the more pissed off I get 
And the more it makes Ooh, me want to do something because yeah. it's like a daunting task, I think, when you think like, well, I'm just one person. What can I do? But if every person thought I'm just one person and I'm going to do what one person can do, then we wouldn't all have to do so much, Yeah, you know? And that's why I was like, you know, give what you can. If you can't give something, share it, you know? Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, in lieu of a gift, if you just want to, like, donate to the Philly Bail Fund, you know? And my mom straight up did that for me. That was my Christmas gift. And it was really great. It felt really good because I was like, one, I love surprises. But two, I was like, this is... (laughs) I love gifts. (laughs) But I was like, this is a gift that helps someone. It's not just like, you know, you can't, you can't take any of this shit with you. Yeah. Like what are, what is it all here for? If we can't enjoy it, if we can't share it. Also, everyone was being really honest, especially on Instagram where it's just like everything is clout for people to Mm -hmm. come out and be like, Hey, I'm actually not doing so hot right now. You know, was inspiring too. Like, I feel like there's always this, maybe in my mind, but it's like, why are you crying? Suck it up do something about it. But those other people who were like, I'm not going to bully myself. They're breaking the cycle and I'm inspired by you. (laughs) (laughs) Like I knew lots of kids who were like, Oh yeah. Like I have to buy my own soda and like, I have my own like groceries because my parents, they don't want me to eat their food. I was like, you're 16. Your parents don't want you to eat their food. Like what? You know, it's like a shame that it becomes cyclical where you're like, well, that happened to me and I made it through. So everyone else will be okay. You know, it's like what Bernie says that rugged individualism, it's just cruelty. And I think it takes a lot of observation on how you act to break that or to even think about breaking it. Because if you're not being self-reflective, if you can't admit that you've been a shitty person, then you're not going to be able to take that first step to like not be one, you know? What do you think inspired your reflective and mutual aid centered mentality? I think I had a a really good foundation of just like, you know, learning from my parents and seeing how they treated people. And it's not like they were super rich, you know, we were like middle class people and they worked really hard and, you know, to give us a better future. And I saw a lot of that also with George. George gave so many people apprenticeships and he had like so many family members who would come in all the time and be like, hey, like you have a job for me or what? And, you know, if he did, he would help him out. If he couldn't, he'd be like, hey, if I hear of anything, you know, and that is so much different from so many other communities where it's just like, it's only me or my family or you're on your own, you know, because I feel like there's a lot of different ways that as a tattooer, you can show up. I did um like an Instagram giveaway. I made a painting and I was just like, tag somebody who's had a hard time, you know, mailed it off to them. Even if it's something like that, Eric at my shop, Eric Gunter, he um, did something with Rachel's pantry earlier and they had donated like 250 meals because of people like who had been donating to them. And we did like a whole flash event that paid for the meals, you know? Like I do a reparations group every Friday, starting at $10, put in $10. You didn't have a good week, 10 bucks. You had a, you had a good week, 20 bucks, you know, and we've been able to raise so much money to help people. And it's just like 10 people 
it's nothing crazy. That would really help someone. I think a lot of people just need to get out of that mindset. I think like we mentioned earlier of I'm one person, what can I do? It is, I am one person. This is what I can do, you know? And I think once we we can at least get people to that, I think a lot of things will start being able to change, you know? Yeah. And I think too, like, just like, you know, trying to be a good, just be a good example in the tattoo community and like be good in your community too, Mm -hmm. you know, can make a big difference when it comes to mutual aid. Just like, just don't talk about it, be about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just do it. Just Nike. <laughs> just Nike. That concludes our first episode with Cassie O'Neill. You can find Cassie on Instagram at Cassie Tattoos or her website CassieLynnArt.com. She and her boyfriend opened an antiques and oddities store this spring. Find them on Instagram at Little Devil's Curiosities, and her tattoo shop is at Floating World Tattoos. You can find Creatives on Deck on your favorite podcast streaming app and on Instagram at Creatives on Deck. Music today was provided by a day's band, Full Bush. You can find their music at fullbush.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening. We'll have another episode for you next Sunday. I